Well, let's talk about culture and how that's been affected by what's happening with COVID-19. So before this happened, what was the culture you're trying to build within your team to sort of optimize performance? You know, I think anyone who knows me knows I'm extremely passionate about culture. And I think that really stemmed from a company that I worked at previously, and it was a mindfulness and emotional intelligence-based software. And for me, culture kind of stems, if you had to break it down into four different pillars, the first is transparency. So I think as it relates to what's going on right now, you know, it's extremely important that our executive team, our leadership team, and I demonstrate to the team that really can clearly speak to how COVID is impacting us as an organization and then them as a team and then them personally. Hi, friends. Welcome to Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Laura Guerra. She's the Senior Director of Sales at RingDNA. And she's joining me today on Sales Enablement, Episode 776, to talk about how to effectively manage sales development teams in this new and rapidly evolving era of remote work. We're going to dig into how to build a culture of performance and accountability and team spirit in a remote sales team. We're also going to dive into how managers have to change how they coach and develop their sellers in this remote work environment. We'll talk about the things that LG and her team have started doing in this work-from-home period that are perhaps more effective than they were before, and what aspects of this she'll keep in place when they inevitably return to the office. Now, today's episode is a real insider's perspective on the effective management of a sales development organization. Be sure to stick around for it. Now, before we get to L- Laura, or LG as she's known, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. So... um Tell us a little bit about yourself. So what's your current job? I am currently the Senior Director of Sales at Ring DNA, and I am leading our sales development team. Got it. Got it. And we're going to jump into that a bit later. I mean, that's obviously, now we're recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 work-from-home uh, era. So we'll talk about uh, changes you've experienced with that, uh, especially with your, your SDR team. Um but first, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into sales? What was the path for you to start a sales career? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in sales and sales leadership, I like to say, for 20 years, although you might be scratching your head <laughs> doing the math. And so first got into sales, uh, selling Girl Scout cookies. But um, so, so I was one of those few where I think some people fall into sales. And uh, I knew from a very young age that it was a career that I wanted to uh, embark on. And so really based on based on selling cookies. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I learned early on that through, you know, perseverance, hard work and and getting creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think probably around this time during 420 selling uh, you know, cookies on college campuses. Uh, <laughs> you could quickly become a, a top seller. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. It's today 420 and that's next week, yeah, Monday, yeah. Next week, yeah. So not that we track that thing, but yes. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, so I, I've been in you know sales and sales leadership now um, full time for about ten years, and have sold pretty much everything you can think of from you know ergonomics and ergonomics consulting for uh, you know large global organization to you know SaaS startups, you know food tech, you name it. Um, food, learned, food tech. Food tech. Yes. Now, what, what was food tech? 
So food tech is um, essentially think about like uh, Grubhub for work, right? So we were selling lunch programs uh, for organizations. Ah, okay. Got it. And where was that based? That was based in uh, the Bay Area. Uh, and I, I had that role here locally in LA. So, um, you know, the Eat Club family, uh, absolutely fantastic company. Um, but I, I imagine they're they are hurting right now, unfortunately. So Yeah, I, I had a client for a number of years that was really big in Southern California, that business called Restaurants on the Run. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they sold themselves to Grubhub. Uh, I think they timed it perfectly yes. <laughs> with everything that's happened. So, exactly. um, so who's been your, sorry, your biggest influence in sales? In sales, you had to say, you know, like for me, I had a, a mentor, like in my early thirties that really was hugely influential for me. in learning how to take my sales career to the next level. Who, who's it been for you? Yeah, I think, um, I have probably two main mentors. The first is my mom. Um, so hmm. she was actually selling software, uh, uh, she's been selling software and, and actually, you know, started her own organization that was a family business that they ended up selling. And so she was really the one to teach me that, you know, again, you know, with sales, you know, your output, your input is your output. And so, um, you know, really learned a lot from her. And then another woman named uh, Larissa Herda, who was um, the president and chairman of TW Telecom. And so I met her and had a mentorship relationship with her in college. And she was also on the board of the Federal Reserve. And she was she got into sales and then ultimately ended up running TW Telecom. And she taught me from a young age that, you know, really, regardless of what you want to do, whether it's, you know, run a company or, or even, um, you know, start start your own company, um, you know, you got to get into sales, right? Everything in life comes down to sales, whether it's, you know, uh, selling a product, selling a concept, an idea, um, and so that will open a lot of doors for you. So, um, she was also hmm. another mentor that, you know, really had a big impact on me as well. And what type of software did your mother sell? Uh, she, she actually sold a uh, CAD software, a uh, 3d CAD modeling. Like for Autodesk or something like that or? Yep, exactly. So Autodesk, oh. um, was, you know, potentially going to buy the company. Um, and they ended up selling to another French company called Dassault Systems. Huh. Yeah, the big fighter pilot defense company. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. What's well, it's you know when you talk to your your peers and so on, it's it's you know not terribly common to have were both your parents in sales or at least have your mother in sales. No, so my dad was a dentist. Okay, so, got it. Yes. So yeah, um, you know I think uh, so, you know, it, it's it's interesting that that question of like were you born with it or can you learn it? And I absolutely it's a I believe it's a combination of both. Um, so I, I believe that by kind of like learning early on at a young age, um, that, you know, sales has this like reputation, um, unfortunately that, you know, you think of like kind of door knocking and, and selling products, but, uh, but she was really able to show me that, um, it was a lot more than that, right? Like selling enterprise software, um, building relationships, um, solving problems, solution and consultant based selling. Um, so. And you were aware of that when you were young? This whole idea about you know sales are being looked down upon a little bit as a profession. No, so so I I became aware of that actually in college uh, when I at a young age like I didn't have outside resources or you know I, I wasn't aware of like the reputation that it had right and so um, having my mom as a mentor I only learned about the benefits that sales could provide and then in college and I was like I want to be in sales like everybody kind of looked at me and kind of chuckled a little bit, right? Like, mm -hmm. why? Like, I want to I want to get into accounting or I want to get into marketing and communications and um, and so forth. 
And so, um, you know, uh, looking at it now, I have a lot of friends who um, are, have been at looking at my career trajectory, right? And they they work just as hard as I do. They're, you know, arguably just as smart, if not smarter than I am, right? Um, but but their career path ha- has definitely taken a, a different turn. Um, and they're in a much different place, uh, just because again, in sales, if you, if you put the work in, if you connect yourself with the right people, um, you could be very successful. So, um, so if you had to identify your sales superpower, what would that be? Yeah, I love this question. For me, I would say my sales superpower is, um, <laughs> I'm actually, we're going to be doing a, a webinar on this, but uh, we're calling it sales swagger, which is this idea of just having this like untenable confidence in yourself, in your ability uh, to win. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, as a, as a young seller, I actually, my first role, I was the only female on a team of, of 12 men. I was 22 at the time. And the next youngest guy was 28, and so as mm. you can imagine, it was it was a bit intimidating yeah. at first. And but but I would say one of the benefits of being in that environment was I really learned um, uh, through kind of a challenging climate and a competitive climate that by having this that by being confident, right, um, that you know people want to work with you, people will trust you, and you can still bring that confidence with you every day, even if you don't know the answer to something, right? Even if you don't. If you don't know, know something, you can answer that confidently. And so I think having this like this will to win and this uh, confidence in myself to even like even when I don't know what the next action plan is or if I don't if I know I need to learn more about the product in these certain areas, I'm going to be confident in my ability to create an action plan to learn in those areas. And so I think from an individual contributor standpoint, like that confidence is what led me to be successful. And then from a leadership standpoint, um, I think my superpower is, you know, my team, I think anybody that, that has worked for me knows that like, uh, you know, if they say LG's got my back, like at all times. Um, and so like right now in our leadership meetings, like I'm, I'm kind of sharing with, uh, uh, with our executives that, that the SDRs have the hardest job in the company right now with what's going on. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. the different things that, that we're trying to do and trying to incentivize and, um, the different programs and things that we're putting in place is to to really to support them. And so, by going above and beyond to make sure that people feel supported uh, professionally, but also personally, people who people on my team are kind of right going through some uh, some personal things right now, as many people across the world sure. are. Um, you know, like sending sending uh, one of our team members cupcakes because she had a bad day. Little things that can go a long way. That that really um, the team knows I have their back, um, and I'll walk through walls for them. So, um, I'm going to give you my address. I'd like cupcakes. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are days I think I think I could actually, that's funny. I did uh, a friend of mine, uh, he and his wife, longtime friend, he and his wife started this commercial cake baking company years ago. Uh, actually the wife, uh, Caroline had started it and it's turned into a fairly good sized business that make these incredible, incredible cakes. And yeah, last week my wife and I were talking about, it, it's like, you know, we should order one of those. <laughs> We're yeah. stuck here inside the apartment. <laughs> All the local bakeries are closed uh, for the most part. It's like, yeah, let's treat ourselves. So yeah, that, or I would say you could you could bake a cake because a lot of people are doing some baking right now, but they're out of flour. Out of flour, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, we found flour yesterday. Um, but yeah, yeah, my, my stepdaughter in San Francisco has been 
I think last Saturday was like last weekend was baking, you know, bread, sourdough bread, bagels, chocolate chip cookies. So anyway, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about culture and how that's been affected by by what's happening with COVID nineteen. Is is so you sort of started describing it before this happened. What was the the culture you're trying to build within your team to sort of optimize performance? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I think anyone who knows me knows I'm extremely passionate about about culture, and I think that really stemmed from you know, uh, uh, a company that I worked at previously, Will, and it was a mindfulness and emotional intelligence based software, and hmm. that we were going into global organizations and talking about the impact that that mental health, mindfulness, and having high emotional intelligence had on culture and on performance. And so, you know, obviously we had you know scientists from Stanford and so forth on our board. Um, and in, in reading and doing a lot of the research, that's really where I became um, kind of enthralled in this in this environment. And and um, and so I learned a lot there. And and for me, culture kind of stems. If you had to break it down into four different pillars, um, the first is transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as it relates to what's going on right now, you know, it's extremely important that you know our executive team, our leadership team, and and I demonstrate to the team that you know really can clearly speak to how COVID is impacting, you know, us as a, us as an organization and then them as a team and then them personally. Mm-hmm. So being very transparent about the current state, um, how the numbers are changing, if they're changing and so forth. The second is learning and development, um, you know, coaching. I know we're going to get into a little bit about what coaching um, for Ring DNA and for our team looks like, um, but learning and development, the career path, uh, competition, and then fun. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of leaders are struggling right now is, you know, how do we, I think everybody w- will universally agree that like at work, we're spending more time with each other than at home. Like it, there should be an element of, of fun and camaraderie there. And, and so how can we implement fun when everybody's entirely remote? Um, so we've done, we've done a couple of, of really interesting things uh, to be able to maintain that as we've gone remote. So, so well, let's sort of dissect those things as let's start with fun. So what have you done the to sort of what would you normally do to keep things fun and light and what's that turned into now? Yeah. So, you know, previously, you know, in addition to kind of the standard things that a lot of companies will do around, we had ping pong at the office and happy hours and so forth. Um, I think making our competitions fun was always something that, that, I did at the office, right? So um, what, based on different things that we're trying to incentivize and new strategies we're trying to test out. Um, so in, in mirroring that and trying to implement that while being remote, one of the things that we did was we broke up the, the SDRs into pods of three to four people. Mm-hmm. And every single week we had a new competition over the last four weeks on a different area, a different channel of outreach, for example. So our first week it was uh, LinkedIn, and so at the end of uh, each week, every pod would send me an example of their best LinkedIn personalized messaging and what the outcome of that messaging was. Um, and we had prizes for that. The second week was video, right? We know that video is a... Before I move on to, to, to videos, so what, yeah. was the, what was the the winning message? Ooh, um, let me see. Uh, I, I, I can't remember, um, but... I know that the the team that won, their dog moms only. If they're listening to this, that was their that's their team name. <laughs> dog moms, okay. Dog moms only is their team name. So I know that they won that that challenge that week. Um, 
And then the, the second week was, is video. I know that, uh, video is an extremely underutilized channel from a prospecting perspective. And I think people are kind of scared to use it, right? Like how, what are people going to think? How do I look in the video and so forth? It's, it's also kind of difficult, difficult to execute at scale. Um, but I think in the climate that we're in, people are craving human connection, right? And so mm-hmm. I think we're going to be seeing more video. And so knowing that the team was a bit more uncomfortable with that channel, that was our competition on week two. And so all the different teams sent me the videos. Um, and uh, uh, we actually ended up setting a few meetings from video. So again, it was a really great and fun way for the team to not only try out new things, um, but it was fun for them to fun for them to do. And we saw, you know, success from it as well. Sounds like, so what tool are you using for the video? We are using drift. Okay. Um, and that's how we're sending the videos through LinkedIn. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you had email video or LinkedIn video, excuse me. What, what was your next one? The next one for the next week was just the most net new meeting set, uh, for week four. I'm sorry, for week three, and then last week, we actually just finished a company-wide spirit week, which was really awesome. And that entailed you know, pretty much a different theme every day of the week. Uh, we gave back to the community. People were posting all sorts of fun videos on Slack of you know dressing up their dogs and their kids. Um, but within spirit week, that was company-wide at Ring DNA, we had an internal sales competition going. And the team could earn points for different things. So... Uh, we had points for, you know, the t- and we actually had SDRs and AEs uh, on the same team. So mm-hmm. this extended beyond just sales development. And so <clears throat> they could earn points for the most calls. They could earn points for closed deals, meeting set, uh, and then for the most creative uh, LinkedIn mess- post. Uh, so all the different channels and all the different things that we're, we're encouraging and people to go out and, you know, test out. Uh, people could earn points, and then ultimately, uh, I know I got feedback from the team that that was a really, a really fun thing to do while being remote. And in general, as you're doing this outreach, what's what's changed about your tone? Because it's interesting. You, you read things online, and and yeah, people give sort of lip service to yeah, we can be more empathetic. Mm-hmm. But and some authors or some you know practitioners are saying still the same messaging, right? We're still still charging hard. Yeah, I know it's a spectrum. What are you finding is most successful for your team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, one of the one of our metrics that we look at is you know total activity, daily total activity, right? And that is the combination of calls, emails, texts, as well as LinkedIn messages. And so what we did while going remote was we actually reduced the KPIs on our daily activity metric because you know to your point, right? Everybody's going around saying, oh, we need to be more empathetic, and just by saying you know, hope you and your family are safe. Here's what we do at Ring DNA, right? That's, <laughs> that's not empathetic. Um, but I, uh, but from my perspective, the only way to truly show empathy, right. And, and step in someone else's shoes. Like if we don't know, uh, Morgan Ingram actually, um, speaks about this, but like, we need to know our ICPs ICP, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't know, you know, what they do, what they sell, if they've the been in the news. Customer, right. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's interesting. You would, again, you would think that this would be a standard part of the sales process and that's, that's the expectation. Um, however, I think in a lot of cases, you know, what, what we can tend to see is as we're, um, as we're promoting personalization at scale, 
you know, inserting dynamic fields or inserting like a one-liner of, oh, we're working with a lot of companies in your space. Like that's not personalization. And so um, we wanted to reduce the metrics so that, you know, the team would be comfortable uh, and had plenty of time to do their research on the account level, on the, on the contact or the prospect to be able to really craft and personalize the messaging. And what are you seeing as, as sort of the, the impact of that and the responses you're getting? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been extremely beneficial. I think, um, you know, we specifically uh, uh, created a sequence that was both had elements of personalization as well as automation. Um, it was really a remote work sequence. Uh, and so, you know, some of the steps were manual, some of the steps were automated. But again, I think that's, so that's how we were able to complete this at scale. But ultimately, um, you know, people appreciate, uh, especially I think when you have a really comprehensive, complex product, what, what we try to do is break that down by persona and then give specific value props to, you know, how our product can help uh, with that persona. Uh, so it was persona-based, and then we included some company or account-based information in there as well. Um, and the feedback has been really positive. So give us an example of how you're, sort of, you're personalizing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we've done is, you know, in terms of kind of like... Um, how we've been, because again, at the end of the day, we've got quota, we've got metrics we need to hit. And so that there's that delicate balance of personalization and and being able to scale. Right. And so one of the Mm -hmm. things that we're trying to do is each rep is doing account level information, right? What industry are they in? Have they been in the news and so forth? Putting that account level information in the account description right in the dialer. Right. So that regardless of what contact or what persona we're calling, we have that account description information right there for folks to be able to see and get that context prior to calling. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think it's been really it's been we've been looking at not only I think people understand that conceptually, but I think it's been difficult or, or what most sales leaders uh, it can be difficult to do is try to operationalize that. So right. that's just an example of, of what we've done um, to, to try to make it a little bit easier for the reps. So is is there anything you're doing, let's say, with your coaching of the reps that you think now is like, oh, huh. actually, this is better than what I was doing before when we we're all together in one spot? Yes. So, you know, it's interesting. I think um, being in an office, you know, I, I struggled with this and I know a lot of sales leaders do as well Is like there's a lot of ad hoc coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest things that I've learned and, and, and things that I'll definitely takeaway from this is like, we, I've really developed more of a coaching program. And so I've kind of structured that in a few different ways. I'm looking at self-coaching, peer coaching, one-on-one coaching, and then team coaching. Okay. So we'll explain how, I mean, I sort of understand how they're different, but may just give people a slight overview of sort of the frequency and how that program is structured. Mm-hmm. So essentially what, what we've done is we've given each, I've enlisted you know, the different folks on the team to have a coaching quota, right? And so I think oftentimes like managers, like I I kind of felt this burden of responsibility to do all the coaching myself. Mm -hmm. And so since going remote, you know, I've actually increased my call monitoring by 30% and increased uh, the amount of calls that I'm annotating and listening to by over 170%, right? Like, so a lot of the coaching that was happening in the office, even though, you know, we have the call coaching tool and I can annotate the calls, I would just naturally you know, want to walk over and coach the person in person, uh, coach that individual in person if I overhear one of their calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
you know, definitely felt this, this sense of anxiety for, I don't know what's going on with the team. And so, um, you know, I gave myself a quota as well as each of, you know, the reps, each of the sales leaders, um, our executives, and even folks in different departments, um, to help go in and annotate some of these calls. Um, and so that's the first thing is, is kind of like operation, operationalizing this like across the company, um, which has been really helpful. The second thing is, uh, you know, one of our team leads is running two call coaching sessions uh, per week. And so everybody brings a call and then people review each other's calls during those sessions. And the feedback from that um, has been extremely positive. People really enjoy hearing other people's feedback. Um, and in fact, 91% of people say that coaching from peers is helpful. Yet, you know, you know from, from my research and some of my conversations with other sales leaders, it's generally only the sales manager or the sales leader mm-hmm. um, that, that's doing most of the coaching. So. so do you see being able to maintain this when you go back to the office? Or do you get distracted by this you know, management by walking around, you want to go do the ad hoc coaching and, and you know, does this have is that something you can maintain? Yeah, I, I think so. Because what I've done is, you know, my, my, the, the amount of internal meetings since going remote hasn't decreased. It's really, it's, it's really increased. And so, but, mm. but what I've done is, is made my, my coaching sessions, um, our, our team coaching sessions, the one-on-one coaching sessions, a priority. Right. And so, um, I'm moving meetings and I'm, you know, trying to try to figure out on my end, like, Hey, can this meeting be done via Slack or via email? Or can it be done, you know, in a couple days, um, knowing just how, how important this is. And, and for me to be able to see the, the, the impact that this is having on the team in terms of like their level of development, their level of engagement, um, and then their level of accountability with, um, actually making, you know, changes to some of those things that we're talking about and coaching on. So if, if the whole COVID thing was going to continue for god forbid for you know another few months how would you see you have to sort of evolve what you're doing now in order to maintain that engagement that you talked about uh, you know i think like any like any new program or any new initiative right i think what i'm going to do is is take those key stakeholders like my my team lead some of the aes other members on the leadership team and get them more involved in this program, right? I think that's that's really going to be the best way uh, uh, to to maintain this long term, um, because I know for me personally, uh, right, different things are going to come up as we continue this this COVID thing, um, and so by getting other stakeholders in the company involved and invested the same way that I am, um, right? Like I know our our head of product Jeff, he's he's really great about going in and listening to calls, and so you know not only is this great feedback for the reps to hear kind of different cross-functional areas listening to their calls. It also helps inform product, right, on what people are saying, you know, competitive intel, um, and kind of give them a realistic view of what's going on in the market. Um, and so I think that's really going to, you know, having alignment between myself as and those other leaders in this initiative uh, and continuing to evolve it over time will be will be critical for success. So, how, last question for you then is: So, we haven't really talked much about the buyers. Is is you know, obviously most of the people you're talking to, they're operating in an environment of uncertainty themselves. They don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, things are invariably sort of slowing down. But how do you see that evolving? Are you starting to see that evolve already after the first month? In terms of yeah, what they're 
decision timeframes maybe or decision horizons might be and so on for some of the things that, that you've been talking to them about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we're, we're like everybody else, we're definitely seeing, you know, and getting you know, budgets are frozen, you know, reach out to me in, you know, Q3, Q4, you know, what I think coaching and, and really how I'm looking at coaching rather than being more reactive taking a more proactive approach. So like getting notified when companies are saying this and then trying to make a correlation between um, key objections and then certain verticals, for example, right? And then putting together a training the next Monday on this specifically. Um, so I think leveraging like our technology to be able to do that uh, uh, has given us critical insights because that's what we can control, right? We can't control you know, obviously the end state of our buyer and the way that they're going to be making their decisions, um, but we can control and, and be proactive about um, uh, as soon as we start to see new trends emerge, how are we going to respond to those as fast as possible? Interesting. Well, good. Um, LG, thank you. I mean, it's, thank it's, you. Yeah, I don't envy you the, the position you're in. I think this is a great learning experience for you know everybody that's sort of working through this in sales because mm-hmm. uh, invariably you might have <laughs> – Trying to think, you know, five five major crises in my career that disrupted sales fairly, at least the sales I was doing at a minimum. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you do learn, you know, a certain amount of resilience as you go through it. And I think that's for me was always the big takeaway. Was like, and I, you sort of reinforce that here is just keep following your best practices, message appropriately. Uh, I was selling into the financial industry when uh, Black Monday hit in 1987, and you know, it wasn't life threatening like like this was, but it was career threatening for many people. And um, yeah, how you messaged and the pace at which you messaged and the empathy that you displayed uh, had to be sincere and authentic. Otherwise, um, any sort of effort you put into building relationships was was quickly dissipated. Absolutely. So it's, yeah. So what would be interesting to sort of think too is is you know is are the buyers going to be different mm. once we're back to work? And yeah. yeah, how does buying behavior change as a result of this? Or does it even change as a result of this? And I suspect it's going to. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like yet. Uh, still gathering information. But you know, I think for teams listening to this, is you, it's one thing to say, yeah, we've transitioned to this mode now, is what you are now have to start thinking about. So what's it going to be like after? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think... I think the level of expectation of personalization and relevance, right? Not one or the other, but both mm-hmm. um, will will be very high for buyers, right? Because um, once things start to go back to, I mean, ever since like Zoom Info came out, right? I think it was something somewhere around 2000. And then, you know, all the sequencing tools came out, like people hiding behind email. And there's been this shift from cold calling is dead. It's not dead. And then Omnichannel and, there's always seems to be this shift, but I think what will stay true after all of this is, you know, if you haven't clearly done your research on me as an individual, on what I care about, and exactly how your product will will help me as a persona or help my team, um, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult to challenge the sales industry, um, challenge, you know, sales tech uh, like Ring DNA and others in the space um, to be able to to enable teams to be able to do that. Yeah, I think I think a big big item for people to to think about is that it's really your success afterwards is is really dependent to a large degree on what you're doing right now, how you're staying in touch, the tone of the conversations as you talked about, 
how the, how the customer feels you're there to support them while they're in this hiatus. It doesn't really matter what stage they're at when they start went into shutdown mode is what is the quality of that connection that you're maintaining? Because what happens is when I believe that when we sort of start getting back to normal, there's going to be this rush to get in touch with the buyers and there's going to be more noise than normal. If you think about it, cause yeah, hey, I'm trying to make up for lost time. I got to call all these people. You'll stand out through the quality of the connection you made during this time. And I think that's for people who really want to be well positioned when we come out of it. Yeah, now's the time to to build that position for you. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. And one of the one of the other strategies that our team is taking, and I know a lot of teams are right now, is this concept of making deposits, right? Or mm-hmm. or giving information, sending articles, uh, charitable donations, and other other uh, creative tactics to kind of add value without expecting anything in return. And so I think the people that are able to kind of stick with that and truly mean it, right? And again, be they're well prepared um, in their conversations and in, thoughtful in their approach. In a couple months, like those are the people that are that are you know going to be at the front of the rush, if you will, right? Yeah. Well, they'll stand out absolutely. All right, LG. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. All right. Talk look soon. forward to doing it again. Talk soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I also want to thank LG, Laura Guerra, for sharing her experience with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. And if you could also leave us a rating and a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.